It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com national editor. It's the first week of the season. We actually have a ton to get to. There's a lot of quick hit tidbits we want to get to about long home runs and elite exit velocity and curveballs. Obviously, we're going to talk about Shohei Otani, who has been fascinating everybody in the first week of the season. Uh, A quick update to how we calculate one of our most interesting stats, uh, hit probability. And then, very exciting, Reese Hoskins here in our studio, we taped an interview with him, and uh, we're going to get to that at the end of the show. Very excited to have Reese here. So you got to listen to us for a little bit, and then you get Reese Hoskins. That's or okay. Can, or you can fast forward if you want, but uh, you should listen to us. This is well, There is so much stuff to actually like talk about Baseball this week. season. The first week was pretty good, I think, right? Just in terms of exciting, uh, you know, big name things happening. The first, first week has been great. Yes. <laughs> it has been great baseball. It is good to have you back, and the action has... Been amazing. This is not just hyperbole. There's almost too much stuff to talk about. We had to uh, update our rundown about three seconds before coming in here because John Carlos Stanton has just destroyed uh, a baseball in New York. So let's get to, I think, some of the most interesting interesting things that happened over the first week of the season. For me, the biggest takeaway are some of the record home runs that we've seen. So let's start actually with John Carlos Stanton because this just happened moments ago in New York. 117.9 miles an hour off the bat. That is the hardest hit ball of 2018 so far. 458 feet. Let's listen to that one. Let's listen to John Sterling call Giancarlo Stanton's home run today. And the pitch is swung on, and there goes the deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Giancarlo. No se puesto parlo. It's a Stantonian home run. And you can tell it because the home run when it left the bat deep to left. And the Yankees promptly take a 2-1 lead. So far in the four seasons, or, you know, three seasons plus this season of the uh, StatCast era, the 10 hardest hit home runs in terms of exit velocity are all Aaron Judge and John Carlos Day. <laughs> yeah, that one was number, that is the new number 10, that 117.9, uh, number one. Hardest hit home run of the three-plus years of StatCast is 121.1 miles per hour off the bat from Aaron Judge last June off Chris Tillman of the Orioles. Uh, of Chris, Yes, I remember that series where he destroyed uh, the entire Baltimore pitching staff. So uh, that is not the only notable home run we want to talk about. Avisel Garcia, if you remember last year, had kind of a breakout season. And I think a lot of questions were around, you know, he'd been not that great for the previous three or four years. It was really good last year. Was this finally the year Avisel Garcia breaks out? Uh, and can he sustain it? This year uh, in Toronto, 116.7 miles an hour off the bat, 481 feet. That's the longest home run we've ever tracked by a White Sox player. And if you looked at the entirety of 2017, only eight home runs were tracked longer than 481. Now, I'm not going to say he's going to have another great season based on one home run, but I'll say that's a pretty good start. And uh, the, all the White Sox are off to a good start, really. Matt Kelly, one of our uh, great researchers here, he noted that if you look at the exit velocity leaderboards so far, the White Sox have six players in the top 25, and they lead the other 29 teams by more than three miles an hour of average exit velocity. And they've also hit the most barrels from the White Sox. I know it's not all Matt Davidson. It's a lot of Matt Davidson. I mean, Gar- Garcia has always had good uh, bat-to-ball skills. It's, it's played discipline, much like Matt Davidson, that has always also 
been an issue. But Moncada had a you know 112 mile an hour home run the other day. They they have a lot of guys who can hit the ball hard. Yeah, they're an interesting team. And then the uh, third home run I want to talk about: Marcelo Zuna, 117.2 miles an hour off the bat, 479 feet, the longest home run we have ever tracked at Miller Park, the longest and hardest hit home run by a Cardinal. That was his first one, and that was a memorable one. Yeah, on the uh, on our Statcast season preview show when we talked about our one stat for every team. My Cardinal stat was about how last year Ozuna had 13 home runs of 430-plus feet on his own, while the Cardinals as a team had 14. So they clearly needed some legit power in that lineup, and uh, Marcelo Ozuna is showing why uh, why they got him. Let's stick with the Cardinals for a second. As I said, we're going to kind of bounce around to a few things first. Have you noticed Jordan Hicks? What he has done in his debut, he kind of made the, the team at the very end of spring training unexpectedly. He's uh, 21 years old. He doesn't turn 22 until September. Third round pick in 2015. So far, if you look at the leaderboard for fastest MLB pitches this year, he is at the top. He's got the five fastest. He's tied with Raul Chapman uh, with the fifth one. So the fastest pitch all year, 101.6 by Hicks, 101 even, 100.9, 100.9. And 100.8. So obviously we know this guy has a big arm. What I found really interesting about him is that despite all the velocity, he was never a big strikeout guy in the minors. Last year he was at A ball. He's throwing 100 miles an hour at A ball. You'd kind of expect like 18 strikeouts per nine, right? No. Struck out 95 in 105 innings. I was I was stunned to see that. And there's a reason for this. It's a stat cast reason. He has low spin on his fastball. He has a spin rate of 2091, 2091 RPM on his two-seam or sinker. That's below average. He's in Luis Perdomo territory. (laughs) Boy, we didn't get that far into the show before a Perdomo mentioned. Uh, That is below average uh, for a sinker. And remember, below average isn't necessarily a bad thing. It means that you get more sink. And what I thought was interesting is he knows this. I found an interview from him from January of 2018 with the uh, SBN site Viva Albertos where he said, I have a low spin fastball, so I'm a ground ball pitcher. The Cardinals really let us know and show us numbers and tell us what kind of pitcher we are, which I think is great. I mean, you would have never heard a pitcher talking about this four years ago, ever. Even maybe two years ago. I mean, the the, the change in conversation around things like spin rate and launch angle, I mean, the, the increase has been exponential. Right. I mean, this guy pops 101, so maybe it doesn't matter what he does with it, but I do think that he's probably trying to get grounders because he knows he's got low spin. You would have seen a guy throwing that hard just trying to blow people away, and that's not necessarily his game. It is interesting also um, to see a Roldis Chapman not at the top of the leaderboard, only at 100.8 miles per hour. I mean, this is a guy that used to regularly pop 103, 104, so I know it's early in the season, so you know I'm sure he'll have a couple 102s, 103s, but you know maybe he's not quite going to be the 105 guy he once was. We have had at the MLB.com stats page for some time an Aroldis Chapman filter, which is basically if you look at the individual hardest pitches, it was all Chapman. So if you just wanted to see anybody else, we would allow you to hide Chapman just so you could see other names. Maybe we have to change that to Jordan Hicks now. Now, I want to look at a couple of guys who have been quote-unquote our guys, guys we've talked about this offseason, who uh, we expect to have nice years, and let's stick with the Cardinals. Let's stick with Jose Martinez. Jose Martinez, we've talked about several times on this show. Um, In his first 21 plate appearances, obviously incredibly small samples, but he's hitting 444, 476 on base, 611 slugging, and... Three of his outs were hit over 100 miles an hour. At this point, I care more about that than I do about batting average. Not that I ever care about batting average. Jose Martinez is uh, so far in the early going, making me feel very happy about being on board the Jose Martinez train. No question. He is uh, looking to be very legit. And, you know, everyone was worried about playing time, how he's going to fit in. Well, were they going to find a bat for him with Carpenter? And Well, Jorko's already on the DL. There's a pretty clear path to playing time now. He already. It was already pretty clear the Cardinals had – decided on him because he started their first four games of the year anyway. So 
I mean, that's I think a lot of people. The Cardinals were kind of a hard team to judge coming into the season because you're kind of put. To, if you think they're good, you're putting faith in Martinez, DeJong, and Tommy Pham all repeating their 2017 season. These are all either unheralded guys like DeJong or like older pros, not even prospects, older like late late bloomer guys like Pham and Martinez. And there's a lot of reason to be skeptical of guys like that. But the early returns, DeJong already has three home runs. Pham was three for five yesterday with a stolen base and a home run. Martinez crushing the ball. I think the Cardinals are going to be pretty good because of those three guys. And I'm actually more of a DeJong doubter. I believe in Pham and Martinez. I do too. My guy number two, Miguel Cabrera, had one of his, not one of his, easily his worst season last year um, due to injury. But, you know, he's also getting up there. He's in his mid-30s now, and it could easily have been seen as the beginning of the end. But we looked at him and said, you know what, he's still hitting the ball really hard. I still have faith in him to come back. So far this year, similar story, 286, 375 on base, 571 slugging, plus three outs hit over 100 miles an hour, at least one of which was your classic Comerica Park hit it to right center field for 400 and something feet and have it turn into an out. Uh, that's just going to happen there, I guess. Uh, but Miguel Cabrera, are you, are you buying or selling? I'm buying. All right. I'm glad to hear it. And then my other guy, Yasiel Puig. Now, this one's a little different. Yasiel Puig's hitting 200, 222, and 280. Those are very poor numbers. However, he leads the majors with 12 hard hit balls. And I said I, I really was buying into this. He has a 214 weighted on base, not so great. A 337 expected weighted on base. Again, very, very early in the season. Uh, but I look at the hard hit balls, and I'm still on board the Alcil Puig train. I mean, with him, the issue was never hitting the ball hard. It was getting the ball in the air. And last year, he kind of was able to get a little more air into the ball and turn a lot of those ground balls into extra base hits. I, I'm I'm still confident in a big year for Puig. Now, before we start diving into Shohei Otane and talking to Reese Hoskins, a couple of other things we want to get to here. Um, Seth Lugo. Did you watch Seth Lugo last night? <laughs> yeah, before Luis Perdomo <laughs> was the uh, official player of the StatCast podcast, it was Seth Lugo, uh, who Mike discovered a couple years ago when he popped a 3,000 RPM. 3,498 out of nowhere. Like that, and uh, hit Anthony Rizzo in the back foot. That's yeah. what it was. Um, but he came in. He was supposed to start the Mets game on Monday, they got rained out, so they skipped him so they could have uh, so they wouldn't have to push back Syndergaard. And then he came in relief last night of Matt Harvey, pitched two innings. They were and good. Looked, <laughs> it looked really, really good. And it's not just about the curveball, right? Like, yes, he threw some really nice curveballs. He struck out Carlos Santana on a curveball with a, you know RPM of like 3,200-something. It had movement, and it looked great. And, like, that is what you expect from Seth Lugo. But I don't think that was the most impressive part of this outing to me. It was it was his fastball. It was, he had like, his first 17 of his first 18 pitches were for strikes. He threw this one two-seamer to Carlos Santana that, like, it was, like, one of those, like, front-door two-seamers that, you know, Greg Maddox used to throw that tried to – kind of go towards the guy front hip and then cut back over the plate. Santana ducked out of the way because he thought it was going to hit him, and it went over the plate for a strike. You know what that pitch reminded me of? Peak Bartolo, right? That's what he used to do when he was like at his absolute best. And unsurprisingly, when you're a starting pitcher who goes to the bullpen, Seth Lugo had a bit of a velocity bump. I grant what I'm about to do is very unfair because I'm comparing two innings to like last season, but still. Uh, last season, his four-seamer averaged 91.8. Yesterday, 94.6. His two-seamer was 90.3 last year, 92.6. If you can get him out of the bullpen, I don't care if he starts. Give him three innings at a time. Let him throw 94 with that curveball. I am in. It was it was a very good representation of when you hear people talk about, when you hear um, evaluators, scouts, managers, whatever, talk about relievers needing, you know, starters needing three-plus pitches and you can get by with a reliever as two. You watch the guy who's a starting pitcher come in knowing he was only going to go two innings and having command of four pitches. And when you do that, when you come in fresh, knowing you can just go crazy over two innings and you have your command and you're throwing four pitches, he struck out four guys. Like, it was 
as like about as dominant as you see from a reliever in baseball these days. I mean, I'm not saying Seth Lugo is you know whatever the the new Craig Gimbrel or anything, but it was it was overpowering. He just came in, was commanding everything. It was pretty. It was it was fun it's, to watch. I would rather see that for three innings than like six and a third. Okay, innings. He, he might. I mean, he is really the Mets' sixth starter when Jason Vargas is healthy. I could easily. He's going to pitch a lot of a He'll lot of a, a lot of relief this year. Uh, you know, I've been saying we just have so much stuff to talk about. I see an alert now from the MLB at Bad App that Charlie Blackman has signed a six year extension. So I, that's interesting. I, yeah, I just saw that. I was going to break in as well. So you, <laughs> you beat me to it. That's fascinating. He was going to be one of the big names on the free agent market and definitely one of the more. I think would have been very interesting to see what he would get when you factor in the f- that he's not that young. The cores factor is he a center fielder? Now he's obviously we don't know the, we don't know the terms yet. Uh, we're taking that a little bit out of the equation. Yeah, we're, we're, I mean we're taking all this out of the equation. He's got security. It's good for him. Good for him. Good for the Rockies. Uh, I guess my my two takeaways without knowing the details are number one, how does this impact their ability to then sign Nolan Arenado, who's a free agent the year following, and number two, I do wonder how many guys are going to look at this year's most recent free agent market and say I don't really want any part of that. I'm going to sign where I am now if I'm happy. Um, so that's very interesting. We'll have to dig into that a little bit more. One guy who did move this winter, Garrett Cole, and I bring this up just because we talked about Garrett Cole uh, so often. And what do we say? Constantly? By the way, I have, de- I have, I have details okay, on the contract. Details. Six years, 108, with uh, escalators that can take it to 116. Okay. Runs through 2023. Last two years are player options, limited no trade clause. So it sounds like maybe it's actually a four-year deal. And he's already, what, 30? Something he's like, like an that? OA draft. He's not. He's the OA draft out of college. He's not young. I think he's thirty-one or thirty-two. Yeah, thirty. Okay. So that's uh, that's that's a great deal of money for a good player who clearly fits well in that home park. Yes, yeah, so, good for him. Good for him and, and good for them. Um, Garrett Cole. Do you remember what our takeaway was even before he got traded the throw, entire year? Throw more curveballs. Throw throw fewer fastballs. Throw more curveballs. I'm pretty sure we made jokes that as soon as he got out of Pittsburgh and went to Houston, he was immediately going to throw a bunch more curveballs. Garrett Cole made his Houston debut the other night. Seven innings, one earned run, 11 strikeouts. Some of this data here is from Andrew Simon on our research team. Of the 128 career starts he's made, this one was number one in swinging strikes at 21, number one in swinging strike rate, 20.6%, number one in whiff per swing rate, 46.7%. Clearly a very good and effective start. Of those 128 starts, his 51.9% fastball rate was the fourth fewest. Uh, And if you look at the first pitch, last year he threw curveballs 28% of the time on Sunday, 46% of the time. Some of these things I can't even take credit for. They're just so obvious that everybody in the world knew this was going to happen. And the Astros obviously knew that, I mean, this is obviously when they got him, they they, they certainly saw this in him ahead of time and had this this plan in mind, knowing the Astros, um, who were just... They're scary good, the Astros. <laughs> They're really, really good. Like, they are just dominating everybody so far. And, like, I was watching them against the Orioles the other night, and it's like, the Orioles are not a bad team. I don't think they're a particularly good team, but they're not a bad team. It's like, it just didn't seem fair. You know, it was just like, this team is, the Astros are so much better. The Orioles are not a good team. Two things before we get to Otani and Hoskins. Number one, Jorge Alfaro's arm. If Jorge Alfaro had qualified last year and he didn't play enough to, but if he had, he would have had the best arm in baseball, his 89.8 mile an hour average on max effort throws would have topped every catcher in baseball. Now, as I said, he didn't qualify. So far this year, obviously, not a lot of playing time yet. He's done two very interesting things. He has uh, he threw out Jose Reyes stealing the other night, 87.8 miles an hour. That would be the hardest caught stealing of 2018 so far. By the way, one of the worst base running decisions I've ever seen is the kind of thing that if a rookie made it, the announcers would be going on about a rookie mistake. Two outs, man on first, pitcher up. 
Reyes gets caught stealing That's against, real bad. against the guy with the best, basically the best arm in baseball. Well, speaking of, speaking of the best arm, he also on open, not opening day, on March 31st, uh, he airmailed a throw to center field. So fine, that's not the kind of play you, you look at and say, oh, that's great. 94 miles an hour on that. That is the hardest catcher throw we have ever tracked. So remember, this is 94 with catcher's gear on. Well, it's done, to be fair, he wasn't doing it from a crouch, right? He was it's, up and standing. It's still with catcher's gear but on. But even still, that was amazing. And I wanted to look at, finally... Uh, the expected weighted on base leaders for hitters and pitchers. And I, I thought this is interesting. Minimum of 20 plate appearances. It's so early uh, for hitters, 129 qualified batters. The top five. Now, usually this early in the season, because it's such a small sample, you see something weird, like some backup third baseman had a nice day and he pops up in the top five. No, the top five right now, Bryce Harper, Carlos Correa, Charlie Blackman, Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts. That's entering today. The best players are the best I'm players. I'm sure the Rockies saw that, and they were like, we got to sure lock, lock this guy up. Uh, but I, I thought that was really fascinating. Five superstars at the top. A little different on the pitching side. Alex Wood. Now, granted, these guys probably have made like one start. Alex Wood's really good. Uh, Jameson Tyon, who I think is going to have a really good And I year. mentioned last on the podcast last week, had one of the largest gaps between expected and actual weight on base last season. Yep. Aaron Nola, who uh, obviously didn't go very deep into his first start for reasons that have been uh, mentioned ad nauseum in Philadelphia. And just gave up a home run to UNSS Espedes just before he started there recording you go. the podcast. Uh, Jacob Junis, who I don't think many people know about from Kansas City. Who dominated the, uh, the, the uh, Tigers, Tigers yesterday. Yes. Uh, and then Chris Sale. Um, even though Chris Sale and Clayton Kershaw have combined for zero wins and four starts this year and are therefore busts. Let's talk about Shohei Otani. But before we move on, we want to take a second to tell you about our friends at Yahoo Fantasy Baseball. The regular season is rolling, which means it's time to think about fantasy baseball. Yahoo is the best experience in the game, and you don't have to take our word for it because the Fantasy Sports Trade Association has rated Yahoo Fantasy Baseball number one five years in a row. If you want the stats and analysis to run your team like a big league GM, or you want to draft, trade, and manage your team from your phone, download the Yahoo Fantasy app today and create or join a league. It's so easy, it's ridiculous. Download the app and sign up at yahoo.com slash fantasybaseball. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball is the official fantasy game of Major League Baseball. Shohei Otane, can I ask you a question? As we record this show, it's been just under a week since opening day, and that means a week ago, people weren't sure if Shohei Otane was going to have what it takes to succeed in the big leagues. <laughs> How do you feel about him now? Uh, much more convinced. He can succeed <laughs> much more much, convinced. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a good week for Otani. Uh, he was amazing on both sides of the ball. So far. He's done amazing things on both sides of the ball. Which we'll dig into both of these. Which was more impressive to you, the way he pitched or the or what he's done at the plate? Uh, his game last night at the plate was far more impressive to me because I had much, many more doubts about whether he'd hit. Granted, it's still just one game, but the quality of contact was exceptional. He was fantastic. Let's start off with his home run, 104.5 miles an hour off the bat, 397 feet off of Cleveland's Josh Tomlin. Let's take a second to listen to that one. That's out toward right center field. Going back on it is Zebra at the wall. So there's that, but that wasn't all. He also had a single off of Josh Tomlin, 100.6 miles an hour, and also a single off of Zach McAllister in the eighth inning, 112.8 miles an hour. And there's two notable things here. That last one, the 112.8, was the hardest hit ball by a pitcher since StatCast began tracking. It's not Madison Baumgartner. It's not Jake Arrieta. It's Shohei Otane. And then the other thing is, he's the first pitcher ever to have three batted balls of 100 miles an hour in a game since StatCast began tracking. 39 pitchers have done it twice, including Ben Lively, who just did it. So that's cool right away, right? He's living up to those expectations. Yeah, it's that, that I mean, that, I've always, I've, I've had no doubts about his ability to pitch at the major league level. My concerns were hitting. We've talked about this on the podcast before. He had a very high strikeout right, 
rate in Japan, which as a raw number was like it was like thirty percent. It would have been top five in the majors last year. And there's Japan as a league has a lower strikeout rate. So my my concern with him was that he was going and maybe he still will be for all I know. He may be a forty percent strikeout rate guy in the majors, which would make him virtually unplayable. But the power is real, the, I, I, but you're right. I always, I always kind of worried about his strikeouts. And to be totally fair, Josh Tomlin did not look very good yesterday. Uh, and I think, I think what this proves to me is that when he makes contact, the power is legit. And what's really interesting is all these numbers they align so well with the Japanese tracking data that we came up with in the offseason. I think that's cool. And the other thing that's interesting is the Angels are putting him back in the lineup today against so Corey Kluber. It's against Corey Kluber, which I am absolutely going to watch. So it's back to back days, which is probably a little more than we thought he would get. So. I'm guessing they're hoping that, you know, obviously had a big night. They want to build that confidence. Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that manifests itself in his next start. Um, they've already had an injury in the rotation. So, you know, the whole plans of six-man rotation, who knows how it's going to play out. But um, very interesting thus far. So uh, this is from David Adler, another member of our team. Shoyatani has seven batted balls so far. Six of them have been hard hit, which we define as 95 miles an hour or above. So an 85% hard hit rate. That is the best of the 286 players with at least five batted balls this season. Fun with small samples, I get it, but come on, even so. And, and that 112.8 mile per hour, per hour single that he had was the hardest base hit by an angel since Mike Trout last August. <laughs> really? Yeah. See, that one I didn't know. Even I learned something from this show. Uh, you may have also noticed that Shohei Otani is a pitcher, and he pitched over the weekend against the Oakland A's. And there were some pretty fun takeaways from this. Uh, the, the first thing that stood out to me, I think, very clearly was simply the fastball velocity. Averaged 98, or 97.8 miles an hour on his fastball. He hit 99 miles an hour 12 times in this game. Only six starting pitchers hit 99 miles an hour at least 12 times all of last season. And he did it in like six innings. So there's that. Uh, if you look at everybody who threw at least 100 fastballs last year, only Noah Syndergaard had a higher average ex- average pitching velocity. So I'm convinced on that, right? Like 99th percentile fastball velocity. You can't fake that. You can't fake that. But what I also thought was interesting was the spin rate. And this also aligns with both the scouting reports and the data we got from Japan, which basically said, obviously, it's a really hard fastball, but it doesn't move that much. It's kind of straight. It's exactly what the spin rate said to us. He had a 2218 rpm on his spin rate and that is the 48th percentile basically means it's dead even right in the middle last year 226 pitchers starting pitchers through 104 seamers this rate would have been 119th so right in the middle doesn't really have much rise it doesn't really have much sink it's kind of straight which is fine if you can throw 100 miles an hour but you know we've seen guys like we've seen nathan Avaldi, we've talked about this in the past that kind of uh it takes away some of the effectiveness of it but he has like two or three other really great pitches. So I almost think of him as like a Carlos Carrasco type where, you know, you throw this really hard straight fastball and it just forces guys to look for that. And then they get really fooled by excellent secondary stuff. And I think he proved he has excellent secondary stuff. His split finger fastball uh, was phenomenal. That He made guys like absolutely ridiculous with that. I guess Oakland. no. It, it it appears to be his most devastating pitch, and you don't see that many guys throw the devastating devastating splitter anymore, particularly starting pitchers. So it's kind of fun. It's fun to see someone someone bring that back. Yeah, the splitter came in at eighty nine point three miles an hour. That's the hardest of any starting pitcher last year. This year, second hardest of any pitcher behind only Jerry's Familia, who doesn't even throw it that often. He had uh, a forty one point six percent swinging strike rate. Now, from last year and this year, two hundred and sixty nine games where a starter threw at least ten split fingers. He is already in the top three in swinging strike rate uh, behind a game from Tanaka last year and a game from Matt Shoemaker last year. And then Shohei Otani, 24 splitters, 10 swing and misses. 
That is elite stuff right there. No matter how you feel about the A's lineup, that is elite. And what I really liked was the way he kind of sequenced them together where he'd go like 99 in the middle, 99 in the middle, fastballs, and then like 90 dropping off the table. Yeah, the early indication he's going to be a very good starting pitcher. And it's another reminder that maybe, just maybe, we shouldn't put so much stock in spring training, particularly when you factor in cultural adjustment and training adjustment. You know, major league teams do things a little differently than Japanese teams and how they prep for the season. So you kind of have to factor in all of these things when you judge a player. Because clearly when it quote-unquote counted, he was ready. Are you saying we can't have overreactions and hot takes based on small sample size spring training data? I mean, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we should, you know, as always, be cautious. Uh, his slider is also supposedly a very good pitch. Now, you could tell he wasn't actually that uh, effective in, in placing it where he wanted to. It was kind of hung up a little bit. That was the one home run he gave up was a hanging slider. But what I also thought was interesting was that he got nine called strikes on it out of 26 sliders thrown. Uh, last year, 505 games where a pitcher threw at least 25 sliders, and at least five of them were called strikes. His 35% called strike rate would have been 18. So, again... Guys, were, guys didn't know what to do with it. They were just kind of watching it sail past, which I thought was cool. Uh, he also threw 68.5% strikes. And if you think that, you know, is, is throwing strikes important, which you also count as swings outside the zone. Last year's top three pitching teams in terms of strike percentage, Dodgers, Indians, Red Sox, bottom three teams, Orioles, Marlins, White Sox. I'm going to say that's important. <laughs> Story checks out. Yeah, obviously, I don't want to compare one game, you know, to a season, but 68.5% for Otane. Last year's season leader was Kershaw, 68.6%. I will take it as a good sign. The question with him, as with with all Japanese pitchers, is if he's asked to kind of pitch more on the five-day rotation, is if he's going to be able to bounce back when he's used to pitching once a week, not to mention when you throw in the DHing. But the tools, the skills are clearly there. So far, so good for Shohei Otani. The final thing we want to talk about before we talk to Reese Hoskins here in our studio. Uh, this gets into some nuts and bolts stuff that I think the listeners of this show like. As you know, we have hip probability, which we have used successfully for the last couple of years. It looks at launch angle and exit velocity to say how often is it play a hit. And that allows us to get into fortunate outcomes, unfortunate outcomes. And that rolls up into expected weighted on base, which is our season-long accumulation of that, plus also strikeouts and walks. So... Uh, Travis Peterson, one of our data scientists, and if you were at the Sabre Analytics Conference, he presented some research on this. He helped us uh, come up with some improvements to the model, and there's a couple of things that happened here. First, simply improve the model just based on our learnings. This is going to get way deeper than I can even possibly explain, but if you're familiar with k-nearest neighbor that is a way to look at the averages of similar balls around it you that will make sense to you i'm not a data scientist and i'm not going to pretend i am travis is going to write a little bit more on this recently so simply under the hood updates to the model but what is also cool is this is going to get to something people have been asking about a lot sprint speed is going to be included in hit probability now which is important because if miguel cabrera grounds a ball to shortstop the likelihood of a hit is very very different than if billy hamilton grounds that same ball to shortstop. So there's going to be three categories of uh, hit probability right now. And when you look at the uh, the live outcomes on Savant, you're just going to see the, the one that is used, the formula that is selected. So the way this works is if a ball is uh, what we call top, so basically a grounder or a weekly hit, then we include sprint speed. Because if you're hitting a home run or a pop-up, well, who really cares how fast you are? It only matters when it matters. As an example, uh, the sprint speed for guys who ran 25 feet per second last year, that's below average, was about a 160 expected batting average. But if you were running an elite 29 feet per second, that's a 230 expected batting average. So that matters. So in in this case, this is where we're trying to give more of a quote-unquote reward to the Billy Hamiltons of the world. Yeah, because it's more likely he's going to beat that out. And as we've seen, you know, we've talked a lot about expected weight on base on this show and sort of how Miguel Cabrera is always amongst the leaders. We're not penalizing him for his speed and things like that. So we're, we're trying to create models where 
this is factor. Yeah. Well, we're about to penalize a first yeah. speed. We hadn't been in the past. Yeah. Uh, so three categories. As I said, if the ball is on the ground, we include speed. The second category is we want to think about home runs or balls that were you know very likely to have possibly been home runs. Uh, in that case, we include horizontal direction. And I think that makes sense. You hit a ball 400 feet to dead center, it's very likely an out, depending on your ballpark. If you hit a 400-foot ball right down the line, that might be a home run by 70 feet again, depending on your ballpark. So that is just under 40% of batted balls. Those balls now do account for horizontal direction. And really the way that works is it just, it, it's shorter down the lines than it is to dead center. As I said, it's much more complicated. Travis is going to write about that. And then finally, if a ball does not satisfy either of those conditions, then it's our classic original recipe, exit velocity and launch angle. So I think that's going to be a cool update. I'm interested to see how that's going to work out. It affects both pitchers and hitters. And when you look at season-long expected weighted on base, which is currently updated for this for 2017 on Baseball Savant, previous seasons will be soon, about three-quarters of guys have a change of plus 10 points or minus 10 points. It's not huge. Uh, a few guys who are slow lose some points, like Miguel Cabrera, it drops from 378 to 370. Again, not huge. Uh, some of the guys, the fast guys, get a nice bump. D. Gordon goes from 255 to 269. That's nice. Kettle Marte, 337 to 359. That's, That's a, a good one. That, <laughs> yeah. that is by far the most. Um, and then remember, it's a combination of two things. For example, Byron Buxton gets a plus 16 boost. That's plus 0.007 because of his speed and plus 0.009 because of the updates to the model. Um, Melky Cabrera gets nothing. He loses nine points because he's slow, but he gets his nine points back because he, the model updates and the ball in the air. You know, Mike Moustakis gets plus 10. He loses six because of speed, but he gets plus 16 because he hits a lot of fly balls to his pull side. So anyway... That's how that works. Uh, I'm sure there'll be questions about it, but I think it's interesting, and I think it's maybe a little more of a, a fair representation of what we see on the field. Finally, what all of the Phillies fans have been waiting for, did you know Reese Hoskins was here in our office, and we talked to him, and it was pretty cool? Well, actually, you talked to him. I talked to him. I did. <laughs> but, but it was cool. Uh, he had a lot of interesting things yeah. to say about hitters' approaches, and well, why don't we let him speak for himself? All right. Here is uh, Reese Hoskins uh, answering some of my very silly questions. One. So we are here with Reese Hoskins of the Philadelphia Phillies in our MLB.com studios. Reese, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Uh, and since this is the StatCast podcast, we're really interested in asking you kind of about how the game has evolved. And I think most importantly, from a hitter's perspective, we've heard so many guys talking about growing up, being taught to chop wood, to swing down on the ball. And that's not really the way the game works anymore. And I'm curious about your perspective on this. When, you know, How did you learn hitting growing up? And, and when, if ever, did that change for you? Yeah, I think you know I was probably pretty lucky like you said a lot of a lot of guys were taught to swing down chop wood um you know try to keep the ball on the ground or you know a low line drive but I never really had that emphasis I think as a as a kid growing up um I don't know if my dad knew what he was talking about probably not um but you know he just kind of kept that the line drive mentality um not necessarily chop wood just kept the, kept saying you know let's let's try to hit a line drive um and I think, you know, looking back on it, your brain's a powerful thing. It will do what you tried to tell it to do. Um, so, you know, I think my swing just kind of naturally developed from that. And obviously now there's a lot more information. We're able to kind of dive into it and, and see what it looks like. As you say, there's there's so much information and probably more than you can really go up to the plate thinking about. You, know, you can't have the numbers in your mind. Absolutely. So, so yeah. what, what is your approach aside from just, you know, make good contact? Is it, you know, swing on plane? Is it get the ball in the air? How does that work for you? Well, you know, just to kind of touch on, on both of those points, um, yeah, definitely swing on plane. Um, you know, I have to tell myself something different than, than maybe um, Scott Kingery does or, or J.P. Crawford or Jorge Alfaro. 
they might have to tell them or their so themselves something to get them on plane. And that might be completely different or opposite than what I tell myself. Um, I think being on plane gives you the best chance to hit all different pitches throughout the strike zone. Um, I think it makes your swing stay in the strike zone as long as, as possible. And I think, you know, when you're, when your barrel is in the zone for a long time, um, you're giving yourself more room for error. Hitting's hard. It really is. And I think, um, you know, having, having as much room for error as you can get every time on, up to the dish, you're going to have a better chance to be successful. So you, you've been in the big leagues for less than a full calendar year and very successfully so far, but you've also had two entirely different coaching staffs, new manager, new hitting coach. Uh, how has that changed? Obviously, Gabe Kapler is a, a very analytically focused manager. What's the, what's the messaging that's been different uh, in terms of hitting? You know, not, not too much different. Um, I think last year we were pretty lucky with Matt Stairs. Um, I think most of his um, philosophy was approach-driven and not so much swing-driven. Um, John Maley is equally as awesome, um, you know, really, really knows the stuff, a student of the game, um, you know, big into video, big, big into swing mechanics as well, but not in a cookie-cutter way. He, um, he studies each guy's swing and what works for them, and then there's kind of just adjustments made off of that, and um, I think it's been pretty successful so far. I know the response in, in the clubhouse has been nothing but praise, high praise um, for him and, and Gabe. Um, it's just giving us as much information as we can can get to, to be successful. I remember one of my favorite Kapler stories is when he was with the Dodgers and he would go to AAA and there were guys hitting like a buck fifty and they'd sit on the scoreboard and get really down on themselves. And he'd say, I don't care. I care that your exit velocity is really good. And yeah. I, I found it fascinating to kind of take the data and almost move it into the human side of things. And I imagine even now he's not going to judge you on your batting average. And how, how would he evaluate you, do you think? Well, I think, you know, in a general sense, I think the game is kind of moving away from the the general statistics that we're used to seeing on scoreboards. Um, you know, like you said, exit velocity, launch angle, um, swing percentage, how often are we swinging at strikes, how often are we swinging at balls. Um, I think all of those statistics are over a long period of time, like a baseball season is, um, is going to give you a more true sense of, of what type of hitter that person is or how, or how successful they're going to be in the, you know, in the long run. Have there been hitters that uh, have really – guys that you would emulate maybe not even just growing up maybe now in the big leagues guy you watch and say I really want to I want to try to hit like that yeah actually there's a couple of guys on the Cubs um that I that I watch um a lot Ian Happ and and, and Rizzo Anthony Rizzo two guys that kind of have the similar leg kick um to what I what I employ um also guys that that Males has worked with um so it's been really cool to hear um you know him talk about them and, and their routines and, and what they go through um, two, those are two guys off the top of my head. Obviously, if you know we, we want to talk about approach-wise and, and maybe similar stature, we're gonna. I'll go to, to Paul Goldschmidt, um, and who, I mean, who doesn't like watching Mike Trout hit? So, <laughs> obviously, you know, you you those guys are pretty good at what they do, and I think watching them can only help. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out some numbers for you here. Okay. One other change in the game we've talked about a lot is that there seems to be fewer fastballs, more breaking stuff, mm -hmm. right? And now it's only been a handful <laughs> of games. I would agree with that. <laughs> so I don't want to put too much on small sample size here, but just looking at what you've seen over last year and this year, uh, last year you saw 39% four-seam fastballs, this year so far 15%. Slider usage up from 17 to 30%. Curveball usage doubled from 9% to 18%. Granted, only three games, sure. one pitching staff. Um, but that is kind of what we expected 
would happen? And even in your short time in the big leagues, have you seen more emphasis on the breaking stuff? Yeah, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, th I think that's, you know, where the numbers kind of indicate, right? It's, um, I don't know, I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. I think last year, in a short time, I was able to um, establish that I can hit a fastball. I think if, if you can't hit a fastball in this league, you're not going to be in it for very long. So now it's it's the game of adjustments, right? They're, they're adjusting, and I have to adjust back. And then once I make an adjustment, they're going to adjust again, and I'll have to adjust back. But that's what makes this game so beautiful. Well, I think you're right about the adjustments because the other adjustment everybody keeps asking about is uh, to counteract the quote-unquote launch angle, guys just see more high fastballs mm -hmm. in the zone. And that's you see a guy like Scherzer hit the top of the zone perfectly. That's wonderful, but if you miss it, it's a bad spot for the pitcher. Have you seen more of that as well? Yeah, and I, I mean, as a hitter, I hope it continues. Obviously, that's a, it's a very hard pitch to throw, and um, if it becomes a mistake, it's, it's something that you know us as hitters we look for. Um, on defense, so you're transitioning to left field a little bit, and one thing we can measure now is how deep guys mm -hmm. can play in left field. And uh, again, only a handful of games. It seems like you play uh, relatively shallow, a little bit shallower than average. And I thought that was interesting because I found guys without a ton of experience seem to play a little bit deeper to make sure they don't get burned over their head. Uh, and I imagine that the positioning is something that the team must kind of uh, you know push you towards where you want where they want you to be. Yeah, definitely. I think with all the data that's out there, um, you know, especially with guys that have been in the league a little bit longer. Um, we're able to kind of tell percentages of where they hit the ball or how they hit the ball. How does a left-handed hitter hit the ball in the gap or how does he hit it you know, down the line? Can I play a little bit more in the gap because um, the balls that he hits down the line are just pop-ups and I have time to get there? Um, it's just kind of putting us in the best chance or in the best position um, you know, to make as many plays as we can. I think you guys made some noise this spring with the uh, left field and right fielders switching spots. Uh, is that something, I guess, two questions, that you think you'll do a lot more of? And do you think it's it's worth it in the sense we're having to run back and forth and kind of readjusting to where you are? Does that make up for the uh, maybe slight boost you'd have in where the hitter is going to hit it? You know, I'm not sure. Um, obviously, it's something that's never really been done. Um, I know we played around it with it in spring. But if it's something that, you know, ultimately gives us, you know, even a win, one more win or two more wins, um, you know, throughout the course of the season, I think with where we're at as an organization right now, that could push us into the playoffs. So I think, you know, in that sense, it's absolutely worth it. One uh, final question for you. Obviously, more home runs across baseball over the last few years and more strikeouts in baseball as well, trends that have been going on mm -hmm. for a while. Have you seen guys try to go back the other way and, and reason, if it's easier for me to hit a home run because I'm hitting the ball in the air, uh, maybe I, I would be better off just making more contact? Yeah, I think you've seen Votto do it. Obviously, yeah. he's, you know, he's one of the best hitters in the game. And um, I think in an interview during spring training, he had blatantly said that he wanted to cut his strike his strikeouts. Um, so, yeah, I think, like like we've talked about, this game is a game of adjustments. It, it, it goes one way. Um, you know, the players have to adjust the other way. And I'm sure it'll get back down to where guys are making a little bit more contact and maybe guys aren't hitting as many home runs. And then it'll go the other way. Um, so yeah, I, I do see that as a, as a thing that's, you know, being, um, emphasized across baseball. Great. Reese, thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Appreciate you having me. So I thought he was interesting. He, uh, he had some good answers to questions. I really liked it when I asked him about high fastballs and he was basically like, yeah, 
bring it. I hope there's more. <laughs> that was interesting. And I also thought it was fascinating when he when I asked him which hitters he emulated. Like, okay, Paul Goldschmidt, it makes sense. Ian Happ was not a name I expected to hear because Ian Happ is was a rookie last year too, right? Yeah, that's that's that that, that is an odd one, but Goldschmidt makes perfect sense. <laughs> yes. All right. As far as those two guys go. So that is our show for this week. Uh, thanks so much for listening. This is the MLB.com Statcast podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.